Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast, everyone. I'm Eli. It's good to be here with you again. I, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit sorry that uh, this episode didn't come out a couple days ago. Life got in the way. Um, my girlfriend came into town. She's listening in on the live pod. Uh, I got to celebrate my birthday a little bit today. Got to eat some pizza, eat some cake. It's all good. We're heading into year number 29 uh, on a good note. It's good to be here with all of you. Uh, yeah, I guess the first thing I wanted to say, first off, did anybody watch 101? Uh, I was just, I don't know. I, I want to thank the Orioles for giving us something to enjoy while we are not able to talk about actual baseball moves. Um, I wanted to, yeah, just say, like, shout out to the content team. It was emotional. It was fun. It was just, like, a great reminder of how much of a ride last year was. Uh, and I guess just how excited we should all be for this one coming up. Um, and even more so, you know, how much it enforces that, like, capping that movie off with not only winning the division, but going on to, I don't know, something like a World Series or at least an American League pennant. Uh, it'd be a much, much sweeter ending to the movie rather than just kind of cutting it off at the last day of the season, and we all know where it went from there. Um, anyway, I digress. So last time we chatted through, uh, talked about the positional needs of the Marlins, how they lined up with the O's on a trade. Um, you know, this will be part two of that series we did go through, and pointed out, I guess just as a quick recap, you know, corner outfield and shortstop are pretty notable weaknesses for them. We discussed three arms in their organization, Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, Edward Cabrera. Talked about the merits, the cons of each. You know, I, I will let you guys go listen to that. I'm not going to rehash it all. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not just about me. Definitely go make your own opinions. Uh, baseball savant, fan graphs, anywhere, you know, that all the same places that I get my data before I come talk to you guys. Uh, definitely hit us up. Let us know what you guys like, what you don't, um, and what kind of packages we're putting together. It's always fun to debate. Um, on that note of packages, I should say, I told myself I wouldn't really get into it on last pod. I did do it. I fell into the hole. You know, it's just so tempting to do it. I think I understated the value of each of those guys even. Um, you know, maybe like a Norby level prospect for Trevor Rogers is about correct. But at the same time, I think the other guys with the five years of control, despite Cabrera's problems, despite Braxton Garrett's inability to miss bats, I think both of those guys are going for higher prices than I listed there. Um, but that said, you know, today uh, we're going to look at two more arms, the two crown jewels of the Marlins pitching staff. Um, again, we're ignoring Sandy Alcantara because of his Tommy John surgery. Acquiring either of these guys would take an absolute haul um, at an absolute baseline, like one of the top 50, one of the top 100, probably an MLB piece with a few years of control, and then probably even another lower-level prospect on top of that. Um, yeah, either of these guys would cost the Orioles an arm and a leg, but you are getting something truly special in it. Um, so I guess let's get right in, you know, no reason to beat around the bush. The first guy we're looking at is Yuri Perez. He's going first because he's less likely to be moved. Uh, he has a full six years of service time. 
you know, he is wildly valuable. Honestly, like, this might make some Orioles fans mad, but <laughs> this is the equiv- equivalent of trading Grayson Rodriguez with, you know, without the extra year of service time. It's like Yuri Perez came up, demonstrated his worth the same way that Grayson did last year, except he didn't get a full year of service time. So you will get him for a full six years, and you have that same level of confidence that he's going to be a stud. Um, But, you know, at the same time, despite the fact that he's highly unlikely to be moved, he's a lot of fun to look at. (laughs) You know, this was one of the more entertaining deep dives through Savant that I've done in a while. Um, And we should all know his name. We should all recognize the talent in our game. So, yeah, so let's get into it. I mean... Like I said, a full six years of service time um, of this wildly valuable guy. What jumps off the page for him? I mean, I guess the first thing, he's six foot eight, you know, which is just unbelievable. Wildly tall guy. His nickname is actually the giraffe. Um, and I actually saw an IG story a ways back. He just was at the zoo or something. He took a picture of some giraffes and just said, cousins, <laughs> you know, uh, entertaining dude, but Super tall, super lanky, um, neck not quite as long as a giraffe, as a full disclaimer. But he does release the ball almost seven feet in front of pl- uh, in front of the rubber. Jeez, I wrote the plate in my little outline here. I don't know why I did that. Seven feet in front of the rubber. His fastball averages 97.5 miles an hour. It drops less than 11 inches on the way to the plate. That's like, you know, Spencer Strider level, you know, vertical movement. Um, for reference, it's almost two inches less drop on the way to the plate than like fastballs at comparable speed. It also has above average run all in all by stuff. Plus this fastball is about 28% better than league average, which is, you know, numbers that you very, very seldom see. Uh, he pretty much, you know, like in terms of pitch mix, he throws this thing 45% of the time. He just lets it eat, um, it's really as simple as that. You know, he is almost seven feet tall. He releases the ball way in front of the plate really, really hard, and this fastball dances. Um, it's really as simple as that. Stuff Plus uh, does not like his other pitches so much. It's got a slider at 101, so right about league average. Curveball about 91, changeup at 86. Um, so all of those are... A little, you know, about league average on the slider, less than league average on the other two, but that is just stuff plus. Scouting grades throughout the minors really loved everything. Um, I tend to go to Fangraphs for all my info, so Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs had his slider at a 60, curveball at 50, changeup at 60 on the 20 to 80 scale, where 50 is average. Um, And then they also have another model called Pitching Bot, and pitching bot's stuff evaluation is looking at the slider at a 57, curveball at 56, changeup at 53. Once again, where 50 is average. So this is a guy with, you know, according to most things, above average stuff. Um, and then in terms of the fastball, just like unequivocally a plus-plus pitch, uh, I guess. Yeah, to round it out, Long and Hagen had the fastball at a 70. Pitching bot had it at a 69. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, it, you know, it's just this dominant pitch with supporting secondaries that 
I guess are relatively close to league average. Some evaluate as better, some evaluate as slightly worse. Um, but when you have the fastball to work off of, pretty much any change of pace as a hitter is gearing up for the one is going to work out. Um, I won't really get into the nuances of like pitching bot versus stuff plus, but I guess the thing to take away there is that most models and people tend to agree that his secondaries really are good and results really do agree. The stat cast run value on his breaking balls, he's in the 95th percentile for off-speed, 68th percentile, well above average, you know, in terms of the actual like outcomes that these pitches are producing. And then that all wraps up with the fastball to he strikes out almost 29% of hitters faced. He gets a swing and miss on on, on over a third of pitches that hitters offer at. That's in the 93rd percentile. His walk rate is just like it's right about league average, you know, so when you talk about such dominant stuff, especially in a young guy, you expect there to be some command issues. Perfectly league average at 8.3%. That is like I, th- that's phenomenal. You know, you get the impact stuff, the swing and miss. You do not get um, walks that usually accompany that for a dude that's 21 years old. So, moving on a little bit, he does get hit hard. Um, you know, th- this is the part I did misspeak. He's 20 years old, but he does get hit hard. Um, this is the part where we come back to earth a little bit and start to talk about some flaws. You know, he's. Like I said, it's 20. There's not going to be anybody who's perfect at 20 years old besides Jackson Holiday, of course. So taking a look at average exit velo, he's approaching the bottom quartile. He gives up barrels. He's uh, only in the 11th percentile for that across the league. I think, you know, like the simplest explanation for this is very simply like, it's just an over-reliance on the fastball. The fastball had a slugging percentage against of 585 this year. And to kind of put that in perspective, if, you know, this, like, quantification of hitters against Yuri Perez's fastball could go on an MLB leaderboard, that hitter would be just ahead of Jordan Alvarez, <laughs> who had a 583 slugging percentage. So, you know, you're talking about one of the most feared sluggers in the game. Um, but that said, you know, moving past that fastball, none of his other pitches had a slugging percentage even above 365, which is worse than league average significantly. And two were below the Mendoza line, the 200 line. But once again, Mendoza line is batting average. This is slugging percentage. So, you know, you do have some hard hit balls against the fastball, but at the same time, You know, the other pitches that all account for 55% of his total pitch arsenal, uh, you know, you are limiting hard contact in a a serious way. Um, So along with the reliance on the fastball is the fastball command, I guess. Um, You know, just as I'm scrolling through, the heat map just really has a lot of red in the heart of the plate. (laughs) Um, You know, if, if he were able to you know, given this like elite velocity, elite ride at the top of the zone, if he were able to just, you know, stay out of the middle, stay out of belt high and really like limit his fastballs to the top of the zone, I think he instantly becomes much more valuable. Um, You know, he can get away with living in the zone because his fastball is so wildly good. 
Um, but, you know, if you're going to live there, it only takes one pitch to do damage. And Major League hitters are gearing up for that. You know, you, you come in knowing this guy is throwing 97, 98, you know, from seemingly halfway, you know, halfway across from the mound to the plate. And you're going to gear up for the fastball. That's the one thing you're going to prepare for. Um, and that's what hitters set their timing to. You know, it's easier to adjust to a slower pitch than it is to a faster one. So you set your timing to the fastball. You gear up for the fastball and work off of that. Um, so yeah, along with, I guess, some damage against the fastball, the other kind of interesting thing is he, this guy is an extreme flyball pitcher. Um, and, you know, I like I had an inkling of that in my head, but I did not fully grasp to what degree this guy is a fastball or a fly ball pitcher. His fly ball rate is 54.8%. So to put that in context among pitchers who threw 90 or more innings last year, only Christian Javier threw more, or I guess gave up more fly balls. Um, and on that same list, the next person to really like drive this home for Orioles fans, the next person on that list is Tyler Wells. So if you watched Tyler Wells this year and you saw him give up a lot of home runs and a lot of fly balls, and you just kind of said, this is not so enjoyable, <laughs> Yuri Perez might not be the guy for you because he does a very similar thing. He's got much better stuff. He strikes out more guys than Tyler Wells. He overall is a better pitcher than Tyler Wells, of course. But, you know, the root of it is this guy probably will give up some bombs. And I think it's a very similar thing. You know, Tyler Wells is also a guy who, you know, he doesn't have the velo that Yuri Perez does, but he does have the fastball ride. He's got a really high spin fastball. And his ability to stay out of the heart of the plate is the single most important thing for him you know we see these like every single home run that tyler wells gives up it is a mistake pitch you know where he has let a fastball just casually run over the heart of the plate and you know a hitter doesn't have to struggle to get their hands up to it it's very simply just you know Ride doesn't help when it's in the middle of the plate. I guess that's the simplest thing. It just ensures that hitter is swinging up on it um, and is going to put it in the air and do some damage with it. So, uh, it you know, if Yuri Perez stays up, just like Tyler Wells, if they keep the fastball, uh, you know, at the letters, above the belt, uh, it's this disgusting, truly, like, really effective pitch. Um if they do let that fastball squeak down, though, can get hit hard. Uh, obviously, you know, in some magical world, if we were able to get Yuri Perez, Oriole Park at Camden Yards will help out with that. Um, but, you know, it, it's a unlikely. That is what it is. But all in all, I guess to close the book on Yuri Perez, this guy is absolutely nasty. You know, he is... A unicorn in terms of how tall he is. He releases the ball incredibly close to the plate. We were talking about Tyler Wells. Um, Tyler Wells, for how tall he is, you know, similar height to Perez, does not release the ball very close to home plate. Uh, Yuri Perez, like, is tall, gets down the mound, gets really good extension, releases close to the plate. Um, 
and again, you know, has this incredible combination of velo, ride, run on the fastball, and plus pitches by most metrics uh, on all of his secondaries. So, you know, he's got this four-pitch mix, uh, does not walk guys at a crazy rate, does it right at league average. It, it is a really, really special talent. And, you know, if the Orioles really wanted to go for it, the true answer is everybody but Jackson Holiday would need to be in play. Again, this is on the order of somebody trying to come to us to trade for Grayson Rodriguez. You are not going to do it if you do not have a sure bet of six years of control and at least one or two guys you're getting back. Because it's just so valuable. The package as it is um, is as valuable as anybody in the game right now. So moving on. I guess bringing ourselves back to something that is more likely could happen. I am not the only one throwing this name around. Um, talking Jesus Luzardo. It is not easy for the Marlins to entertain trading this guy, but I do think that the market is so hot for sellers right now. Um, and if you as the Marlins want to capitalize on that and you don't want to trade Yuri Perez for this absolute haul, which totally fair. I wouldn't do it either. Um, you've got Jesus Luzardo. He is 26 years old. You've got three years of control ahead of him. Um, he is not a giraffe. He's only six foot zero. And honestly, he gets like no extension. He's very, very different in that way. Only third percentile in extension last year, releases the ball less than six feet in front of the mound. Um, kind of interesting, but, um, he does also have an animal nickname uh, from Pitching Ninja. Pitching Ninja has dubbed him the Jesus Lizard and throws up these gifts of the lizards that can run on water all the time. Obviously, it comes from his name, Jesus Luzardo. But uh, for all the, I guess, animal nickname enthusiasts out there, I wanted you to uh, just make sure you got your love, too, with Jesus Luzardo. Um so yeah, I guess on a more serious note here. <laughs> so Luzardo was a top prospect, uh, number one in the athletic system in 2020 before he exceeded his rookie eligibility. Uh, for reference, that was just ahead of Sean Murphy, obviously all-star catcher with the Braves, one of the best in the game. He was traded to the Marlins in the Starling Marte trade at the 2021 deadline. Uh, for the first few years uh, after he came up, kind of the name of the game was Electric Stuff. And struggles with command, like we see with so many young pitchers. Uh, in that 2021 season where he did get traded, he actually walked four and a half guys per nine. So, walked somebody every two innings. His whip was up over 1.6. There was a lot to be upset about. Um, you know, if you were the Athletics or the Marlins, the Athletics were probably like, we've totally lost control of this guy. You know, let's see if we can flip him to somebody who will take the reclamation project. And obviously he was worth more than that because he did net Starling Marte, who was one of the hotter trade commodities, uh, as a rental piece. But uh, you were definitely concerned with what you were seeing. He could not seem to lock it in. 2022 comes around, and he completely turns it around. So he throws 100 innings. He did have an injury in May of that year as a forearm injury, missed all of June and July. Um, but he managed to put together 100 innings. He had a 3.12 ERA. His WHIP was 1.04. Uh, the walk percentage went 
from 11 to 8.8, which is just slightly worse than league average. His strikeout percentage went from 22.4 to an even 30, which just shoots up to the 87th percentile. Um, And so, you know, in 2022, you see this guy that is starting to become everything you dreamed of. A 30% K rate is something you look for, you know, in an elite reliever. Um, Like I said, 87th percentile. Uh, The walk rate did come down. Whip was microscopic, you know, almost an even one. And he did have the injury in the middle of the year, so you didn't quite see it across a full season. But last year he comes out, and he really just puts it all together. He started a full 32 games. He threw 178.2 innings. Um, Walk rate continued to get better. It was even better than league average last year. It was only 7.4%. Um, the K percentage did drop slightly. It was from an even 30 to 28.1. You know, some of you might be saying that's a 2% drop. That is like from the 87th percentile to the 82nd. This is still wildly elite. Um, and if you are, you know, very simply, like if you're willing to induce more contact, potentially staying around the zone more to mit- to mitigate and limit those walks, um, you're going to give up more contact. It's as simple as that. And as long as you aren't giving up hard contact, as long as you aren't getting damaged too severely, there's really like nothing wrong with a drop in walk percentage and K percentage minimally. Uh, again, this dude is striking out, you know, more than one of every four guys that he faces. So his raw stuff is very good. Um, once again, looking at stuff plus and pitching bot stuff plus gives the four seam and slider above average marks. Uh, really likes the slider. Pitching box stuff metrics gives four seam and slider plus ratings and the changeup just slightly above average. Um, so this is good stuff all around. Like we said, the walk rate is coming down. This is a guy who's really just rounding out into full form as a top of the line starter. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I, I did say he like ex- just extrapolated 2022 out over a full season. Um, He did make one pretty significant tweak uh, that I was kind of intrigued by. He, in 2022, threw a combination of a sinker and a four-seam. The four-seam was thrown 29% of the time, sinker 18% of the time. In 2023, the four-seam basically took over all that. The four-seam was thrown 46% of the time. The sinker was at like 3.8%. So, uh Really, you know, they made this conscious decision that the four-seam was the more effective pitch. That is backed up by a few things I'll talk about later. Um, but, in, it, you know, it, if you take a step back, the sinker really was not a bad pitch. That's what's kind of interesting. Um, I, there were some indicators like expected batting average, expected slugging, expected WOBA, um, WOBA being weighted on base average. Uh, indicating that the sinker might be slightly outperforming some of its expected outcomes. Um, but, you know, he like he goes ahead, he makes this transition to being a four-seam pitcher. And, I mean, like, the results are phenomenal. Uh, he was right between Kevin Gossman and Justin Steele in total run value from his four-seam fastball. That was eighth in the majors this year. Um, so just in... You know, strictly outcomes coming off of his four-seam fastballs. 
Um, eighth most valuable four-seam fastball in the majors. It, pretty astounding. Um, something that I did want to point out here as I was looking at this list, I just chuckled to myself, and because we're all Orioles fans here, I did need to note uh, Felix Bautista was actually better and was number six in the league in accumulated value off of his four-seam, which is just ridiculous because obviously he's a reliever and is throwing less than half of the innings of these other guys. So shout out to Felix. We hope you're healing well. A couple pitch notes here, uh, continuing to look into Mr. Lusardo. So he was 90th percentile in 2022 on changeup run value. So in 2022, he's got this really, really elite changeup, um, really pretty dominant with it on all fronts. And that was at plus five runs. He ended up at minus two runs in 2023 on the same metric. Uh, that was in the 30th percentile of the league. So, you know, was absolute top of the line, jumps to worse than the average changeup. Um, and this was one of the first things that caught my eye. You know, before I get into the negatives here, I just want to say, like, he was obviously very good. His ERA was like 3.5. He threw 178 innings, struck out 200 guys. Like, these these are picking at hairs in order to find flaws in these guys. Um, so, yeah, continuing on. So, changeup seemingly regressed. The outcomes on this pitch were significantly worse. Um, and, you know, I'm always, like, when, when I'm evaluating a guy like this, you know, the deltas from year to year and seemingly, like, if there are trends in how they're, you know, progressing, obviously you want this guy to be good for the next couple of years if you're going to acquire him. Pretty straightforward there. I don't know why I'm telling you that. But <laughs> uh, so the movement on the changeup was fairly constant from year to year. Uh, it was thrown slightly harder, uh, just over 88 miles an hour as opposed to just over 87 in 22. Uh, both are within the realm of good separa separation in velo from your fastball, though. Uh, don't think that that velo change is really like the driving factor here. Um, I, I think the main difference here for me that could possibly explain this is that change in fastball usage. I think, um, well, in, in taking a look at it, the sinker, uh, the sinker movement is really pretty close to the same angle uh, that the changeup operates on. I, I guess in terms of clock angle, if you guys have heard that, it's a 15-minute degree separation. Um, so, you know, just like, let's see, 30. I guess it's 7.5 degrees is the difference there. Um, this year, the four-seam is a full hour away, so a full 30 degrees, um, you know, in observed movement on how these two pitches are moving. So basically, the, the very simple thing is the four-seam diverges more from the changeup uh, in the direction that it's moving as opposed to the sinker. And when you largely get rid of the sinker, you are removing an element of deception uh, because that sinker is obviously tunneling with and, you know, moving along the same plane as the changeup. Um, so removing that sinker, you know, obviously I think the changeup is easier to spot. Uh, he does throw it more along a two-seam axis, uh, so hitters can pick up that spin as well. Um, I, I think that this was very simply just like a loss in deception to an extent. 
Um, but that said, that's a trade you make because the four seam itself is a much more effective pitch than the sinker. Um, so they made this decision to move forward with the four seam. And I think there are some like corresponding adjustments that need to be made uh, to continue to make that change up more and more effective to kind of, I guess, re-disguise it for lack of a better word. Um, and kind of bring that in family with some of his other pitches, you know, maybe changing the axis a little bit to look a little bit more like a changeup, or I'm sorry, look a little bit more like the four seam coming out of the hand, uh, something like that. I don't think that, you know, the shape of the changeup looks any worse. Um, he did throw it a mile an hour harder, uh, you know, which nothing wrong with. We like velocity. Um, so, you know, I don't think this is uh, necessarily like a problem. It's just kind of an interesting note. I think that it is uh, probably the something the Orioles would work with. Um, and once again, like I, I talked about it last time with Braxton Garrett and Trevor Rogers, the Orioles do work with left-handed change-ups all the time. Um, and, you know, if you look at someone like a John Means, his plays off of a four-seam fastball, it is a, like, more four-seam style change-up. It is not the, like, heavy pronation. It's a higher spin and just kind of float style change-up. Um, so, you know, like, it, it, if we ended up with a Luzardo, I think that that might be a change that they try to implement a little bit to, you know, reorient the change-up to the four-seam fastball as it stands, and you add back in an element of deception there. The breaking ball also had worse results this year. <laughs> um, I'm not trying to only give bad news. I said all the good stuff up front, so we're in the bad section. You just got to bear with me. He threw the slider over a mile an hour harder. That was kind of a theme this year. A little bit more velo on everything. Um, he dropped about three inches of vertical movement. Uh, I guess I should say drop is kind of a funny word there. Uh, he lost movement, which means it dropped less. Uh, so moved three inches less down, uh, and also lost about an inch of horizontal movement. Uh, his slider is almost perfectly vertical, which was kind of entertaining. Uh, it breaks 0.1 inches, uh, to his glove side. So, uh, very, very vertical pitch. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It was the same thing last year, uh, when it was slightly more valuable by matter of run value. Um... I guess, yeah, as I'm going through this, I'll like reiterate, I, I do think oftentimes these are deliberate changes. Um, I mentioned this in the Dylan Cease episode back in the day. I hope I mentioned it last time as well. But, you know, very often these are deliberate changes to these pitches. Uh, people who are much smarter than me are, you know, looking for different ways to play with tunneling, to play with spin axes, um, and kind of optimize the pitch set as a whole. Um, and they are forming connections that I am not. It's as simple as that. Um, so I will obviously defer to them, but I'm just looking through end results here. Uh, you know, hindsight 2020, I have the benefit of looking at numbers after the season. So, uh, so yeah, with this slider on the surface, run value was down in 17th percentile. Uh, the exit velo relative to the year before against this slider went up almost two miles an hour, over one and a half. Um, but I guess if you take like a, a slightly closer look, um, 
there are some encouraging signs. Uh, the the batting average was 63 points higher than expected batting average. His slugging percentage against was 101 points higher than expected slugging. The weighted on base average was 66 points higher than the expected weighted on base average. So all of these expected blah blahs are just looking at batted ball data against um, and you know, kind of trying to compute what the expected outcomes would be based on that. And in every sense here, uh, batting average, slugging, and weighted on base, this slider was very, very unlucky this year. Uh, I'm admittedly, like, not quite sure what explains that. Um, if anybody listening has a good thought, please, like, I'm always happy to learn. Um, but... So it's seemingly pretty unlucky in terms of batting average, slugging, and weighted on base against this slider. Um, between years, you know, we're talking about changes from year to year. Between 22 and 23, the expected batting average, looking at those, only three points higher this year. Expected slugging was only six points higher. Expected WOBA was actually 21 points better this year. So... In a lot of ways, you look at this and it's like, okay, so the slider on expected results was really pretty comparable, and in terms of Woba, was actually significantly better this year. Um, and then I guess the other thing about it, the whiff rate on this slider is just obscene. So the whiff rate went up over 10%, is at 51.8%. And to put that in context, of pitchers who faced 100 hitters last year, only Spencer Strider has a higher whiff rate on this slider. And his is 55.3. It was ridiculous. Strider is just like a god. You know, the, the super, super hoppy fastball with uh, the slider that he has. It's disgusting. But, you know, put that, uh, I guess, in perspective relative to the other name we've all thrown around. Dylan Cease is 13th on that list. Um and I guess I can also throw out Yuri Perez is ninth on that list. But Jesus Lizardo, number two, over half of the swings against this slider, they outright miss. You know, like, it, it is super, super unusual to get major league hitters to, I mean, just fail completely at such a ridiculous rate on this, you know, on any one given pitch. Um, so, super, super high whiff rate. Second in the league on whiff rate on this slider. And, I, you know, so what this says to me is, like, while we are seeing, you know, the the actual outcomes on this pitch this year were not all that great. But at the same time, uh, by some estimators, the slider was, like, victim of some really bad luck and then probably should have been even, you know, a good margin better than his slider last year uh, where it was you know, by all metrics, a really, really great pitch. So I guess to round it all out, so we don't end on a bad note, the long story short with Luzardo is three years of a frontline starter. It's as simple as that. You know, Dylan Cease was only two years. This is the guy who has been, I guess, more stable over the last two years. Dylan Cease had the higher, or higher ceiling. You know, his 2022 was obviously outstanding. This guy's been a little bit more consistent. We have seen his command issues actually get, you know, incrementally better over the last two years. 
He racks up a lot of Ks, has well above average stuff. The fastball is up by about 97, 96, 97 miles an hour. Um, I think there is like one open question on this changeup, uh, potentially just how to redisguise it a little bit. I used that word earlier. Um, but just to make it hide in the four seam tunnel a little bit longer, uh, we did see, you know, the drop of sinker and the like relative closeness of appearance of the sinker to the changeup. I think that really accounts for people being able to pick it out well, hitting it a little bit harder. Uh, you can make adjustments to that. Um, but all of that said, you know, even if you never make an adjustment to the changeup, it remains exactly as it is now. You have a guy who just threw almost 179 innings, 3.5 ERA, 3.55 FIP, super, super steady, frontline starter. He, I need to sneeze real quick. Woo. Okay, it didn't come. All right, it didn't come. We're good. We're good. Shake it off, guys. <laughs> so 3.5 ERA, 3.55 FIP, you know, almost 180 innings. You have a frontline starter as he exists right now. You have three years of control over him. I This is a guy who headlines a lot of rotations in this league. This is a guy who's only 26 years old, could continue to get better. You know, has this, like, phenomenal combination of stuff existing in this moment right here. And, once again, like, walks guys at a lower-than-league average rate. I mean, it's like... It's all you can dream of in a trade candidate. You know, you you, you are not going to get uh, a Yuri Perez every day. It, it's really not often that somebody with three years of control comes open. I think it's just that the, this is a situation where the Marlins have some depth. They have needs on their offense. They were a playoff team last year and should have that expectation. And, you know, with these... With these AAA guys for the Orioles, we talk about reallocating resources. You know, we are accumulating value at AAA right now at a rate that doesn't really benefit us because, you know, in the end, you're always looking for major league value. Um, and you need, my, you know, you obviously need minor league value to keep supplanting that. But if you are stacking up all of this value at AAA, it is not an effective use of your resources to just keep them there marinating uh, when you can't get them onto the big league club. In the same way with the Marlins right here, we have all of these pitchers. You know, there are like five, you know, maybe better than league average pitchers if Cabrera puts it together a little bit, um, if Trevor Rogers has a healthy healthy season. You know, the rotation of this team is a really, really strong, um, it, it's, it's a strength for them, and they have significant weaknesses. So... Trading to balance that out a bit, you know, it is just an effective allocation of your resources. Uh, the Marlins are obviously not going to go and sign anybody for even $50 million. That's just not what they do. So I think it's possible. You know, I, I, I love I love the idea of Jesus Cesardo. He also is a lefty, you know, so even if anybody is um, worried about, you know, maybe some like Slightly below average, uh, slightly below average exit velo numbers, uh, hard hit rates. That, don't worry about it. You know he's a lefty. The platoon advantage gets somewhat nullified by the wall, and 
you know, he he induces whiffs, he induces Ks, he I the guy's a stud. The guy's a stud. I've I, I've got nothing else to say. I I think I've said enough. Um definitely give us a shout. Uh, you know, if you are so inclined, we would appreciate it if you could, you know, rate the show, give us some cod, uh, comments, give us some feedback. Um, we are on X. We are uh, on email. If you want to email us at the warehouse pod, um, or, I'm sorry, at the warehouse pod at gmail.com. Uh, we are on X at the warehouse pod. Girlfriend's giving me a look. We're on Twitter at the warehouse pod. <laughs> um, and. Uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you, of course. Please do reach out. Um, we are also... I, I have been chatting, and Tyler has jumped in as well on the on the Verge Discord. Uh, we've had some really great discussions over there. Um, if anyone wants to come chat, we are around in any number of forms, uh, and we'd love to hear from you. I appreciate you guys spending this time with me. Um, let's hope the Orioles do something. I just hope they do something. And maybe next time, you know, like, I... It, it's so much better for me as a podcaster when I don't have to come up with things and I can just react. Um, and I can, you know, get Tyler and Jesse and I can talk to my brother and my friend and we can all just have a great time, uh, you know, just, like, exploring our reactions and our feelings as opposed to, you know, go do hours of intensive research on two Marlins pitchers. <laughs> anyway... I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, we will check back in with you soon. I think Tyler's going to be back later this week to uh, chat through some Orioles lineup considerations, I guess is the best one. Uh, I will let him tell you that then. Once again, this has been the Warehouse Pod. Thank you for listening. <laughs>